President and CEO of the Federal Reserve of the Bank of St. Louis, James Bullard. Tony Crescenzi is an Executive Vice President, Market Strategist at PIMCO. And yet we're hundreds of basis points away from our target. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside my co-host, Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle market trends each and every week on Sirius XM's Wharton Business Radio Channel 111. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Chris Gennady, Associate Director of Research at Wisdom Tree. Uh, joining me via phone today is my co-host, Jeremy Schwartz, Director of Research at Wisdom Tree. And this show is also uh, hosted, uh, co-hosted by a finance professor, Jeremy Siegel, the author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. Please note that Jeremy Schwartz and I are registered representatives of Foresight Fund Services. Our discussion is not a recommendation for any trading strategy, nor tied to an offer or sale of any investment product. The views of our guests are not those of Wisdom Tree or any of its affiliates. And it's going to be a very interesting show today. Everyone's going to remember this day, and history will see if we remember it uh, more to the positive or the negative, but obviously Donald Trump. Uh, is being inaugurated. And joining us on the show to uh, help discuss that and flesh out some of the details, uh, Matthew McClear, uh, Managing Director uh, and Portfolio Manager at Cumberland Advisors. Uh, I should disclose Cumberland Advisors is a client of Wisdom Tree. Uh, and then our second guest today, uh, who has been on the program multiple times, uh, will be Greg Voliere. So, at this uh, particular point, uh, Jeremy, um, you know you've uh, you've seen a few different uh, market cycles here. Uh, what, what are you initially thinking now that uh, Donald Trump is the president uh, of the United States, the forty-fifth president? You know, we we've heard a lot about what's going to happen in the first hundred days, uh, and now he actually has to step up and and start doing some of these things. So it's going to be interesting. All the battles he faces, you know, people are dissecting every word. In the speech, and is he is he veering more protectionist? Is he you know he's obviously going to try to get people to buy American, made, hire American are two of his buzzwords in the speech today, uh, and so people are worried that he's going to enact trade barriers and put up all these gates, and and you know that could lead towards you know higher inflation pressures as as you know got to raise prices for things that we're no longer buying cheap goods overseas. So there's a lot of fears about what some of these policies will mean. Um, but certainly he, he is trying to you know, change a lot of policies here, corporate taxes being the most optimistic for the market. So that's what, that's what people you know, tend to be optimistic on the market point to first, is that we're going to get lower corporate taxes, um, bringing cash back at a, at a lower rate. You know, but you know, a lot of people think that's just going to lead to more dividends and buybacks. But that, that could be supportive for the markets as well. So we have to just see how things play out, what he actually does in this first 100 days, and, and how he starts to shape policy. So at this point, I would like to bring uh, Matthew McClear onto the line, as I said, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at Cumberland Advisors. Um, Ma Matthew, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about uh, the United States, the outlook, and, and Trump. But uh, if, if you wouldn't mind maybe uh, introducing uh, yourself to, the, to our audience, uh, give a bit about your background, and as well as uh, the philosophy of uh, Cumberland. Sure. I'm a portfolio manager and managing director here at Cumberland. Uh, we primarily uh, run capital on the ETF side in, in three styles, a U.S. Uh, style, an international style, and then the multi-asset class or tactical style. And those are run from both a, a global macro slash fundamental approach, uh, coupled or complemented with some trend and relative strength analysis. Uh, so Cumberland's been in business since 1973, uh, started as a fixed income house all the way through 98, when in 99 we uh, introduced the first ETF, separately managed account strategy, which still remains our U.S. ETF. So we have uh, some, some real nice strength and experience in the area from both a, a trading and research standpoint. 
So you've seen uh, many inaugurations uh, throughout uh, the, the years since 1973. Uh, in your spectrum of history, kind of looking back, where does uh, today rank and kind of kind of what are you thinking going forward now that we've heard the speech and now that Donald Trump is the, the 45th president of the United States? Well, I don't think you, you, you heard or saw anything new today uh, that, that hasn't been telegraphed, uh, you know, really going back five or six months to when, when he became the nominee. Uh, you know, the surprise was him, well, surprise to some, myself included, was him winning the election. As, as soon as that dust settled within the next trading day, you started to see what some of the market, some of the participants in the market were thinking, and that was that internationally uh, your foreign markets were going to come under some pressure specifically emerging markets, which sold off between the election and the end of December, anywhere from 8, 10, 12, 15 percent. As a matter of fact, most of the emerging markets gave back their gains for the year uh, in that six, eight, eight week period. You've had them trade much better since uh, through through the first three weeks here in January. You know, they've made uh, some nice higher lows and and one positive from uh, uh, international markets and specifically the emerging markets, since I mentioned it, is they are all still trading north of their Brexit breakout. So from a, from a technical standpoint or a supply and demand standpoint, that's uh, kind of a line in the sand uh, that we keep an eye on. Uh, the fact that, that uh, about 80% of the international markets are trading north of that breakout point is is a positive. So some of what we're hearing and some of the rhetoric you would certainly think is priced in at these levels internationally. So I'm told we have a, a caller, uh, Nathan, on the line. Uh, Nathan, uh, welcome uh, to the program. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I have two uh, uh, questions. Um, uh, in the spirit of the inauguration of Donald Trump. Um, they're kind of my own opinions, and I want to see if you agree or, or if I'm incorrect. Um, the first one is probably somewhat non-controversial, which is that doesn't it seem like almost a certainty that the deficit will grow uh, over the next four years simply because if Trump wants to spend on infrastructure and the military and the rest of the Republicans want to cut taxes, the deficit's just got to go up. And then the second question um, maybe less obvious, is doesn't it seem like there's almost no way that four years from now Trump's going to be able to claim that he improved the economy, almost through no fault of his own, although I'm sure he will make many mistakes, but simply because with the unemployment rate at very low and, and the stock market very high, if you come in at the top of the cycle, you almost have nowhere to go but down. So... Ultimately, uh, my, my initial response, and we'll let uh, then Matthew and, and Jeremy ultimately chime in, um, on, on the first point, uh, that is a big concern, namely all of the additional sort of incremental fiscal spending. Uh, how does it get done? And I know many uh, on the Republican side have that uh, revenue neutral phrase that gets uh, tossed about. But of course, uh, the devil's in the details with, the, with such phrases. And things like whether, whether it's the infrastructure spending, the corporate tax cut, these are stimulative policies that cost the government money. Uh, they deal in spending, and you also have to deal in revenue to ultimately be revenue neutral and not enhance uh, the deficit. So at, at this point, it would, it would appear that what they're trying to do is minimize the impact on the deficit. Um, but I know on Donald Trump's election, a lot of the uh, thought process was it was almost a, a hearkening back to the 1980s and uh, the Reagan years where deficit spending was uh, certainly uh, the modus operandi. And ultimately, uh, that could absolutely be the case. We, we could see a, a ballooning federal deficit uh, without question. But uh, Jeremy and Matt, uh, what do you guys think? Matt, I know you guys specialize uh, in interest rates at Cumberland as well. I'm curious uh, on your take on, on what you think the deficits mean to, to interest rates, and then I'll, then I'll chime in after that. Well, from a, and, you know, similar to the election, if you, if you knew three days ahead of the election who was going to win, 
and therefore positioned your portfolio accordingly, you were probably on the wrong side of the trade, right? So, Absolutely. For a few so, hours, you looked right. So, right, right. So, you know, one of the things we try to do, and, and it's a very intelligent question, economically and from a standpoint of, uh, of fiscal policy, but what we try to do is take a look at that as being one piece of a, of a large input pie and how is that going to affect rates in the market overall. We're right now still looking for gradual uh, move higher in rates. Uh, you know, if you've read some of our things and, and over the last uh, 12 months or so, rate-wise, we had taken in duration on our, our bond portfolios from starting the year right in a five range all the way down to about a three and a half through October and have now started to extend them. Uh, you know, it had been ages before we could buy four and four and a quarter uh, par double-A credit munis. And, you know, with the with the 10-year running from 135 to 250, 255, 260, over the last six or seven weeks, we had that opportunity in, in December into early January. So we did extend duration. So we've gotten aggressive on the, on the long end of the curve. The reason we did that is we felt there's value there. It, it, and there can only be value there if we feel that rates aren't going to spike further, right? So from, from the standpoint of how we're looking at it uh, at Cumberland, and John Mousseau's head of fixed income, David Kotox, our, 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 our chief uh, investment officer, we're, we're looking for just gradual moves from here. Uh, in terms of where we'll be two, three, four years from now, uh, we try not to get too far beyond our headlights. Uh, so in terms of how we're positioned, we're, we're positioning for what we feel comfortable next six, eight, 10, 12 months. So Nathan, I want to thank you for a, a great question, and uh, we are ultimately going to have the, the pleasure of it, hearing directly from uh, Professor Siegel, who has joined us on the line. So just to remind our listeners, my name is Christopher Gennady, Associate Director of Research Wisdom Tree, joined by my co-host, Jeremy Schwartz, Matthew McAleer uh, from Cumberland Advisors, and now Professor Siegel. Yes, hello. Sorry, I'm a little bit uh, late. Usually get in at the top of the hour. Uh, yeah, we, we. I mean, this is this is a momentous day, uh, uh, and in fact, uh, I was looking at the reaction of uh, the equity markets. Uh, was not too good to Trump's speech. Uh, he mentioned protectionism. Uh, there, there's there's two ways I see, you know, Trump potentially veering. Uh, if he veers towards protectionism, currency wars, tariffs, and all that, that's very bad for the equity markets um, and risk markets in general. Um, if he moves more towards tax reform and uh, regulation reduction and uh, all those other growth positive measures, that's that's extremely uh, bullish. So uh, what I think we see right now in the equity market is, well, what tack is he going to take? Uh, um, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, my, my feeling is he's, he's going to stress the, the pro-growth tack, but certainly on his uh, inauguration speech, he seemed to be, uh, uh, you know, t- going back to the protectionist tack. But on the basis of the advisors that he has uh, gotten, the cabinet members, they're very global, and I think they recognize those risks uh, of disrupting the, the global markets. So uh, uh, there, there is hope he'll go the other way. But I think, you know, we, we really, um, uh, you know, the risk markets and, and, the, and the bond markets, everything are now really waiting to see, uh, you know, what will be the path of the new Trump uh, administration, and um, I think that uh, uh, you know that that will ru- rule market movements over the next several weeks. So, Professor, hey, it's, uh, it's Jeremy. Uh, I'm sorry, we're, uh, I missed you down in Florida this week. But the uh, you know it's interesting on the you know the policies that you know Trump always seems to be he wants to be popular, and, and he, did, he does appeal to this populism element. And you know the market tested him for a few hours and then bounced right back. It'll be interesting, 
you know, if the market does test them and you start to see a severe, you know, reaction one way, how that how that gets him to react? Because he, he his reactions are always what's interesting in, in in his tweets and all and all the rest. I mean, how do you think he reacts as the market sells off and 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 on some of the policies that become unpopular? Well, first of all, you're 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 asking a very good question. We don't know if he'll continue to tweet. Uh, as president or tweet as much. Uh, I mean, that's a big question. I mean, even many of his supporters said, hey, give up the tweet and communicate in other ways. Well, we don't know whether uh, Trump is, is, going to, uh, is going to do that or not. So certainly uh, that's, that's, uh, that, that's certainly one of the things. Uh, uh, you know, he could issue executive orders, uh, you know, starting now, uh, that block, uh, you know, that uh, block certain trade parts of trade agreements. He can't repeal NAFTA or anything like that. Um, but uh, you know, he could claim uh, China is a currency manipulator. He could uh, slap emergency uh, surcharges on certain goods. I mean, he could react in that way. Uh, that I think would be very negative uh, for uh, the market. Uh, refraining from doing so. And moving with the Republican agenda, um, which is tax reform, um, and uh, and don't don't forget the repeal of Obamacare. I think is as you know, as much as as to reform health care is also to repeal the five hundred billion dollars of taxes of, over a ten year period that Obamacare entails. So a lot of those taxes are very anti capital taxes. They're taxes on dividends and capital gains. So uh, in a way the Republicans want to get rid of those and they want to lower the corporate tax. All of that is very capital friendly. So I think we're really we have to we have to see what direction uh, he's moving? I, I, there's a, is, I think the, if, if he moves again in that positive direction, we've got another 15, 20, even possibly even 20 percent. Uh, we could have a very strong equity move um, if they see him in the pro-growth mode, very cautious on the protectionism. But if he goes towards protectionism, that's going to that's gonna make uh, the equity markets, I think, very, very nervous. So, uh, pr- Professor, something that, uh, you know, we always uh, think about is sort of the intersection of uh, the U.S. markets and, and international markets. And I know last year the balance of risk was always whatever happened, whether it was Brexit, Donald Trump, the Italian referendum, markets just continued to go up. Is, is there anything that you're seeing out there that, that breaks the upward trend um, besides, say, Donald Trump, uh, you know, day one calling China a currency manipulator going down that more negative path that you laid out? Well, I, I think there are I think there are favorable signs actually in Europe and and in Japan. First of all, despite all the the, the worries about the euro breaking up, you know, I've been emphatic. I mean, I was I was on CNBC the day the morning after the Brexit vote. The first thing they asked me, they said, "Well, what's going to be next?" And I said, "There is no next. There is no money that's going to leave the euro." And I strongly believe that, uh, despite some of these parties claiming that the people are. Firmly against it. There may be some countries leaving the EU. I don't think there'll be any of the consequential countries. If you take a look at the polls there, there hasn't been any tremendous in- increase in anti uh, EU sentiment, really. Uh, Filon in France is a phenomenon. Imagine uh, one who is uh, leading, actually, in the polls, that admirer of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, you know, no one would ever expect that from France. Uh, you know, I think uh, Japan, uh, you know, with the yen. 100, you know, north of 110, um, uh, could have some very nice earnings increases and uh, a very pro-equity business government that we have in, in, in uh, Shinzo Abe. So, uh, you know, I, I and, and, and cheaper prices in the U.S., you know, Europe is 14 PE, uh, similar, I think, in Japan, emerging markets are there or less. Uh, I think I think global I think global is very very strong. Um, yeah, I I I think the only thing that I really see as a negative is if 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 Trump puts a protectionist uh, obstructionist type of uh, policy in rapidly, uh, I regard that as the biggest potential worry that I have uh, over let's say the next three to six months on the market. Professor, I really want to thank you for joining us today on uh, on this historic day. We'll we'll always remember that we broadcasted uh, right after uh, Donald Trump became president, uh, the 45th president of the United States. 
Yes, we will remember that. <laughs> and, we'll, and many uh, future weeks we will discuss on uh, how well or how on not well he is doing as president. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much, Professor. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jeremy. Bye-bye. So, everyone, you're listening to Behind the Markets on Sirius XM 111. I'm your guest host today, Chris Gennady, uh, and we are, Jeremy Schwartz and myself, speaking with Matt McClear of Cumberland Advisors. And, uh, Matthew, a couple, couple things there uh, that the professor was saying. Uh, Jeremy and I would love to, to get your reaction. I know your firm definitely does a lot in the international markets. We do, and, and you know, what, what uh, Dr. Siegel was just discussing is, the perception, the dominant perception in the market right now, and that is if if some of these policies are uh, protectionist, then you're going to have a stiff wind blowing against the international, the global markets. Uh, you know, that, the word I used is perception. You know, markets trade on a, a combination of perception and reality. We, it, it's very difficult to handicap what that reality is going to be. And I think that's why you've seen this real back-and-forth choppy action that, uh, that you've seen in both the domestic, the U.S. market, and the global markets over the last uh, five or six weeks. You know, we had a, a real burst out of the, out of the gates post-election here domestically. But we've really, you know, tapered since that second week in December. And back-and-forth, uh, trying to chew off some of that overbought and and get a better idea of what's uh what's ahead one positive that uh you know I, I may lead you to believe that some of the the bark on the uh renegotiating trade and and protectionist thoughts one positive that may lead you to believe the bark is more than 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 the bite is how well uh, Europe and some uh, Latin America, uh, and to some extent Asia, has traded over the last three or four weeks. So the initial reaction to the the foreign markets post Trump was was poor, very poor, uh, and that's where you saw that that eight, ten, as much as fifteen percent, sixteen percent drawback. Uh, but since the the first of the year, you've had very solid trading. Uh, in the overseas markets, you have Germany trading near a 52-week high. You have the, the those developed markets throughout Europe and Eastern Europe strong. Uh, Eastern Europe buoyed by the higher oil prices. You had Asia coming around a little bit. Uh, you know, there. Anytime Trump mentions China, yeah, you get some weakness in China, which China is the big dog there. Once you get the weakness in China, it's difficult for the rest of those countries to rally. But you look at uh, South America, that really took the brunt of the Trump election, uh, you know, those three, four weeks afterwards down, you know, 15 percent, has really gotten its legs under it. That, from strictly a, a trading standpoint, you think perhaps that we've gotten an adjustment to risk-reward in that perception versus reality. We'll see. So, Matt, this, um, this is Jeremy uh, asking a question here. Um, you know, one of the big moves in the markets after, after you know, both since the uh, July 8th bottom in rates and then the election um, was how, how well small caps have done relative to large caps in the U.S. And, and I'm curious, um, given all, all that's going on, and you say small caps less vulnerable to trade more, you know, U.S. centric. What's your your firm's opinion within the U.S. markets? How are you treating small caps? Is that something you're overweight, you know, market weight compared to what you would normally would be? Yeah, and and a, another perception and reality scenario, which the markets always are. We're we're overweight both small caps and mid caps in our U.S. portfolio as well as our tactical portfolio. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, as the ETFs have have gotten more granular, we have a, a decent sized position in in small cap Europe. So we we like small cap overall. Now domestically, with the thought that perhaps you can shield yourself. From some of the uh, some of the global angst that may go on in the markets, and and some of the multinational large caps that may be affected, we think there's something to that. Uh, our, our small cap and mid cap positions are really what carried our performance in the third and fourth quarter. 
Uh, they're tremendous movers. You know, where you're rarely going to get that move of, of 18, 20, 22 percent in a three or four month period. So I don't believe that the thinking has changed that, that small caps and mid caps may be somewhat more immune to to global trade headaches and and global and and foreign headaches the fact may be though that a lot of that move is in already you know that's always the battle right it, it, we can still like small caps and still like the fact that small and mid caps do say 90% of their business domestically and can try to shield ourselves from from some of the foreign headache that may come up but we've had a heck of a run and yeah. you know we're not the only ones thinking that. So part of the game is is realizing have we hit areas that we can start letting go of some of this position, and just paring back. We we got very overweight uh, in the fall in small and mid caps, and uh, we do always keep an eye on ratios to the different benchmarks and so forth. Uh, you know whether we want to remain two x weight versus a benchmark is something we talk about every day. So one of the well, the other interesting positions you guys uh, in one of my commentaries I read is that you tend to also be overweight cash. So it's interesting the small cap you would say is in a more aggressive positioning. Uh, maybe talk about your your cash position, how that compares to normal, uh, and sort of maybe you, you consider it a barbell approach where you have this cash position for opportunities, but also overweight the small cap more cyclical part of the market. Sure, you know. Uh, right now in our in our U.S. portfolio, uh, we're about. We're just under 20, call it 18% cash. That's a big slug of cash for us. Part of that was uh, taking some some weightings down uh, about three weeks ago when we felt that uh, the momentum in the markets had started to wane. We'll, we'll make fundamental judgments uh, as to where we want to put capital whether it's small caps, mid caps, large caps, whether it's value versus growth, uh, and then where we want to be weighted sector and industry-wise. We'll make those fundamental decisions, uh, but we'll also keep a close eye on, on some technical indicators we watch, uh, such as weekly momentum readings, trend readings, relative strength readings. And when some of the weekly momentums that we follow closely started to turn over and weaken three weeks ago, uh, we did raise some cash, uh, mostly in areas that had a very strong run, energy, financials, uh, some small cap paired back a little bit there. So we, we try to uh, handle the capital within the portfolios from, from you know, two angles, and that is fundamental and macro, what we see happening in the world, what we see happening in the country, how, how uh, different securities may react to changes in interest rates and, and GDP levels. But we certainly watch all of our securities and the market itself uh, from a technical standpoint. And we're, we were just comfortable taking some of the moves off. Uh, we, try, we try to differentiate industries and sectors as to are they longer-term holds or are they trades. And it, it often breaks down to, to how cyclical they are. For example, in, in energy uh, last year, we, were, we traded energy three separate times last year. We were knock on wood. We were lucky with most of those trades. But that was an area we took down three weeks ago. We don't feel that that's an area we can just stay long in. We have no uh, no willingness to ride out big moves, 15 and 20% moves back and forth. So it, between the run we had in energy, the run we had in the banks, tremendous run, the run we had in small caps, we didn't mind pairing back there. So we're sitting on about 18% cash. Hasn't hurt us yet. Uh, we're still at those same levels we were three or four weeks ago. We're really looking to just see if we can get uh, – you know, a cheaper entry. So, Matt, Matthew, uh, we have a couple minutes left um, before we have to go. Um, I did. Uh, I, I would feel remiss if uh, I didn't ask about one particular asset class. I know your firm has some expertise, uh, and it's uh, been been hit a bit uh, of late. Municipals. Uh, do you have any quick thoughts on that market to share with our listeners? 
Sure. Uh, it's our largest uh, asset class in, in you know, dating back to, to the early 70s, it was our original uh, investment strategy, municipal bond managers. So, so we have, uh, you know, really a lot of experience in that area. Interest rates will always dictate the shorter-term moves. And, and as I, I mentioned earlier, when we got to about 150, 145, 140, 135 on the 10-year back through the summer, the 10-year Treasury, we did start shortening duration considerably we we were down under three and a half on on the muni uh portfolio so that's very defensive so we we at least we got that right uh as rates have risen here though the munis took a uh more of more direct hit much of the brunt versus treasuries and corporates they got to a level that that sets out bells for us when we can catch Muni's trading at 125% of treasuries. We get very aggressive, uh, and we saw that through December. So when when you can catch a you know a 10-year double A Muni, good solid credit, versus a 10-year Treasury and be paid 25% more in yield, will will extend duration and start trying to get as much money to work as possible. So we've viewed this this last four or five weeks, six weeks as a as a, a spot to get some money to work and get aggressive on munis. Uh, will that work? We hope so. Uh, and we, we're very pleased with how prices have bounced back muni-wise uh, once some of the, the selling in the mutual funds subsided. You know, it's it's you have to game and handicap so many things, as you guys know. Uh, one of the things we try to handicap is is – how much uh, how much money's coming out of those mutual funds, and are their phones still ringing with redemption requests? Uh, we tracked that on a weekly basis, and we peaked on that second week of December uh, where where you were having uh, you know some of the funds out there on, with with bids wanted lists, so we were aggressive buyers there and we've we've tapered down now you've gotten the the ten year traded uh, back down to about a two thirty two thirty two thirty two earlier this week, although it's back up towards two fifty right now. Be nice for us if it it just stayed in that kind of range if we saw you know a couple hikes and at the end of the year we were at a the two seventy five or a three percent ten year i I think we would be in very good shape and and munis uh would be as well they they're still trading at about hundred and twenty percent of treasuries today so still attractive but but not the screaming you know 130 percent of treasuries they were uh four weeks ago so matt Jer- jeremy and i really appreciate your your taking the time and uh speaking with us uh, and our listeners today on the show uh, we also appreciate uh nate uh calling in uh anyone who would like uh, can certainly call us at one eight four four warren that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. I want to remind our, our listeners that you're listening uh, to Behind the Markets on Sirius XM one eleven. Uh, we are going to be right back with Greg Volier of Horizon Investments. Welcome back to Behind the Markets. I'm Chris Gennady. Uh Joining us uh, in a few minutes is going to be Greg Volier. Uh, but uh, first, uh, I just wanted to get. Maybe some of Jeremy's uh, initial reactions to our, our first guest, uh, Matt McClear from uh, Cumberland Advisors. And uh, no, well, uh, I'll give my own reactions first, and then uh, then we'll go to Jeremy. So I, I thought it was uh, particularly interesting the comments on small caps. Uh, to give the listeners a bit of background. Uh, I was uh, recently in Israel, uh, flew in this morning. Uh, we were certainly speaking about all different asset classes across uh, the U.S., and, uh, and Matt uh, hit the nail on the head of what really everyone's asking, namely what's priced in and what isn't priced in. I mean, we talk a lot about dollar strength. We talk a lot about uh, tax policy. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, we've, uh, we've got uh, you know, Jeremy's opinion as well to, to bring in on, on the matter. So, Jeremy, are you a, a buyer of small caps today? You know, I think it, 
it, it really depends on what prices you're paying. You know, so I, I look a lot at valuations, and in a lot of the small cap indexes, you do get a lot of unprofitable companies. So you know, that is where people expect the tax rates to be most impactful. A lot of these companies don't have global operations. So you look at you know, Microsoft and Apple and Google, and they, they have very low effective tax rates already because they have these foreign, you know, they've been going overseas to get these foreign headquarters and get better, better tax rates. Um, but the small cap companies just have the U.S., and so they tend to be higher taxed. And so that's one of the stories on, I think, why small caps have done so well. Um, and they also have done better during rising interest rates environments, and that's, a, that's another thing that has, has catapulted them. But, you know, you definitely can find, if you look at just the profitable small cap companies, you can find, you know, broad baskets 15 to 16 times earnings. And if you do get tax rates um, going down on these, that, you know, you can end up getting 14 to 15 times earnings, which would be a very reasonable multiple. Um, so I do think it matters, you know, what part of the small cap market you're focusing on, uh, you know, and, and not just buying those broad beta benchmarks that may have a lot, you know, more unprofitable companies in them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, uh, it harkens back to, to what everyone always should be thinking about, but it's just so hard to do in investing, namely uh, buying what's uh, less expensive and what may not have uh, had the best uh, recent performance over uh, the last few months. Um, and uh, it, I, f- I forgot to mention as well, uh, Greg, Greg Voliere, to our listeners, uh, writes a great uh, daily uh, research note. And uh, he was actually writing that note because, of course, you know, you, you can't write the note before the inaugural address. Uh, so now, ultimately, uh, we are joined on the line by, by Greg. And I, I would personally recommend any listener that has an interest uh, to subscribe to Greg's note. Greg, welcome to the show. Oh, aren't you nice? Thank you. I just published something on the Trump speech, and I'd love to talk with you uh, about it. I thought it was pretty interesting. It, it was. Uh, there There were just so many elements, and the speech itself wasn't even that long, uh, yeah. necessarily. But uh, what, what, are your, what were your initial reactions? What were some of the most important things uh, that were in there? Well, first of all, anybody who thought he was going to soften and get, like, touchy-feely, magnanimous, it didn't happen. I mean, he is a, a tough populist, a trade protectionist, hardliner on immigration, and he's not going to back down. I, I thought it was... Uh, astonishingly uh, unconciliatory, if that's a word. And, uh, you know, he, he clearly appealed to the 40% or so of the public that loves him, but that's not a majority. It, it isn't. And that was uh, what a lot of people were saying initially after the speech. There was the thought process of, because you always hear that, you always hear bringing the country together, the unity, the election was just so divisive. What's he going to do to kind of make sure that everyone sees him as leading everyone? And after the speech, uh, a lot of people were saying, look, uh, the reality here is this is a, a, an appeal to his base, an appeal to the people yeah. uh, that were most responsible to the victory, not really an outreach uh, to others uh, across the aisle. Yeah, you got to broaden the base. And, you know, I have to say for the financial markets, which which is our, our, our main subject most of the time, I, I think there are two big stories. Number one, he did not offer a full-throated, passionate embrace for tax reform and tax cuts. I think they're coming toward the end of the year, effective date January 1 of 18, but I was a little surprised he didn't um, play that up. The other thing for the markets that I think has to be a little troubling was how strongly protectionist he sounded, and I think we're just a matter of hours away from uh, new protectionist regulations, you know, Trump saying we want to get out of NAFTA, get out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. You know, I understand he's appealing to people in Pennsylvania and Michigan who voted for him, but this is not a good story for the markets. And that's really what uh, Professor Siegel, uh, who was er- earlier on the show, he said, uh, essentially you have two paths. You have the, the tax cut path uh, and uh, the growth path, uh, yep. which could be very good for the markets. Yep. Uh, the professor said possibly a 20% upward move wouldn't be out of the question if, in fact, we go down that path. The protectionist path is uh, the negative path, uh, and it's also the more unpredictable uh, of the of the paths, and it, it sounds it sounds like you're you're saying the the speech yeah. was alluding to that. And and just one other thing, and I, I'm not a, a Trump basher. I, I don't uh, I don't want to say that it was totally uh, uh, negative for the markets. But one other thing I should point out, he has really resurrected big time the infrastructure story. There's a lot of Republicans in 
the House in particular, who don't want to spend a trillion dollars. They think it's too much. They don't, they're not sure we've got shovel-ready jobs. But he made it really clear today that infrastructure is at the top of the list. And I'm not aware of how he's going to pay for that $1 trillion. Hi, Greg. This is, uh, this is Jeremy Schwartz here. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, on the protectionist side, what can he do and what do you think would be his first steps in terms of taking, taking those actions? I mean, tax policy, uh, we all want to hear him talk about the taxes for, for the companies. And, you know, it, that probably is just more complicated in terms of what he has to bargain for with all the different people and all the different conflicts there. Um, so it, w- it doesn't surprise me that it's going to take longer to get to a tax policy, but what do you think on the short list of things he can do? Is it backing out of NAFTA? Is it yeah. um, the currency side calling countries currency manipulators? Yep. Is he going to do that? I mean, people he did. People are trying to read his reactions on, is the dollar too strong? And yeah. people, I read that he, he was talking about China directly, mm-hmm. um, but it would be interesting how broadly he makes that a policy. Well, I would like to hope, Jeremy, that he would side with the Goldman Sachs crowd in his administration. They're more pragmatic. They don't want trade protectionism, but it looks like he's going to go in the other direction. And I think the next thing we're going to be talking about is tariffs, new tariffs on Chinese steel, Chinese aluminum. And as I said earlier, I think he's going to announce that he wants to scrap or at least renegotiate NAFTA. I think he's going to pull out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And, you know, I understand the political appeal, but do you want to get into a situation where we could be talking about some big-time retaliation against us? I mean, I was, I was hoping, I mean, I saw an analysis that said, why are we going to Mexico? Um, why are car companies, car companies going to Mexico? And it, you know, part of it is Mexico, you know, on, on the labor front, you know, you can just get something like $8 an hour versus $46 an hour in the U.S. And so there's a labor savings of something like $600 a car. Mm-hmm. Then it costs them $300 more to ship it. But because Mexico has 44 separate free trade agreements, that their cost of importing the component parts to, to Mexico to produce the cars is something like $2,000 a car cheaper. Mm-hmm. So it's much more about these 44 trade agreements and not, you know, the labor side. And so I was hoping perhaps he, he gets into this global trade war where actually we're trying to increase or sort of, you know, neutralize that impact of, of, of making things better. But um, And they talk about wanting to increase trade, but you, you haven't seen that yet. No, you haven't. And uh, it's a thorny problem for companies. I mean, companies have a fiduciary obligation to maximize profits for their shareholders. I mean, it sounds Darwinian, but it's true. So if companies say, oh, maybe we won't go to Mexico, maybe we won't go where we can make our products cheaper, could some shareholders say, wait a second, you know, the, the, we, we could litigate if the, if the company we own shares in is not trying to maximize its profits. So you're listening to Behind the Markets uh, on Sirius XM 111. I'm Chris Gennady. Uh, my co-host today is uh, Jeremy Schwartz. Uh, we're taking this half hour with Greg Villier of Horizon Investments. Uh, we were talking about uh, tariffs and, and trade. And, and, and Greg, I'd, I'd like to, because some of your earlier notes this week were about kind of another important element here, namely the cabinet and the confirmation hearings. Yeah. Uh, wh- where do you think we are with that? I know the Senate's going to convene today and possibly uh, approve at least two of the cabinet members. Yeah, that's, that's right, uh, Chris. I think two of the generals... Uh, for Homeland Security and Defense will get confirmed late today. Uh, my sense is just about all of them will get confirmed. There's a guy slated to maybe become Labor Secretary, Puzder, uh, who I think is starting to show signs that he's thinking he, this is not what he had signed up for, and he may be losing his enthusiasm. Uh, he's been under withering criticism for a lot of things. But I, I think you know just about every one of them w- will make it. And the key point I say to all my clients, and I would say to you gentlemen, is that Trump has the votes. He has the votes on his cabinet appointments. He has the votes on tax reform. Uh, that's the dominant story. People may think he's protectionist. They may not like his rhetoric, but he's got the votes. 
it, it is it is interesting because uh, it, it kind of all comes down to that. And I know a lot of people will cite uh, the very low uh, approval rating uh, for whatever yep. that is ultimately worth. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Republicans uh, have control uh, and they can get uh, they can ultimately get things done. They can get confirmations uh, ultimately passed. The, the one wild card, the, the one thing that I think is intriguing is that Barack Obama early on in his first term got bogged down on what? Health insurance. So this administration now is in the middle of a, of a long, complicated debate over how you replace Obamacare. It's easy to kill it. What do you replace it with? And if they bog down on replacing Obamacare, how ironic. Eight years later, the same thing happens to this administration. So I think the markets are going to look at this Obamacare replacement. And if it becomes a fiasco, the markets may conclude that that does not portend well for tax reform. It's it's interesting that uh, that you mentioned that because uh, some of the clients that we will meet with uh, will tend to ask us what we think about healthcare or pharma or biotech. It's one of those sectors where the performance hasn't been good of late. The valuation is starting to look uh, tantalizing for those uh, potential contrarians out there, valuation hunters. And ultimately, uh, people are asking, is, is this a good time to get in? And of course, that headline risk, uh, you certainly can't say uh, it's, it's not there uh, at all. Yeah, and you know, another thing, I was um, in New York, I guess it was yesterday, yeah, it's been a long week. I met with a lot of very bright investors, and one of the things they all told me is that it's not really presidential to do all this tweeting. And a lot of these uh, investors say, you know, I got to get up at 5 a.m. just to see what this guy <laughs> tweeted overnight. Is it going to move the drug stocks, the auto stocks, the dollar? And I, I think that's another thing that maybe Trump should uh, lighten up on. It's, it's not, it's not a good story to blindside the markets. It, it, it's very surprising. I mean, even I, I was just over uh, in in Israel, uh, which is sort of an interesting market to uh, to be visiting when. Donald Trump is uh, coming up on his uh, inauguration, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was so difficult to kind of pr uh, prognosticate where things might be going because everyone at the start of each meeting would say, you know, uh, what did he tweet? What are, what's the next tweet? What's the next <laughs> right. thing yeah. that's going to ultimately target a company, a government, a country, an idea, an individual? It, it could be anything. Um, and it, ju it just creates uh, that the U-word uncertainty that we always uh, hear in the markets. It makes it so difficult uh, to ultimately know what's going to happen. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I do think the big picture for the rest of this year going into next year looks pretty darn good. Uh, decent economic growth, a tightening labor market. Uh, yeah, the Fed's going to hike rates a couple of times. But I think as we go into 18 with the economy stronger than it is now, then you get the fiscal stimulus, the tax uh, cut will take effect, I think, early next year. So there, there's a plausible path here for the next couple of years looking really good for growth, but markets don't like to get surprised. And this guy showed today that he's a hardline populist, and it's going to make it a little tougher for the markets to handicap him. Yeah, there is a, there is a new Twitter account. This is 150 right after the inauguration. There still hasn't been any tweets under the new handle POTUS. Um, so we're all waiting in Washington for that that first tweet from from POTUS, but I'm sure it's yep. going to come. I mean, he's not he's not going to care that people say that's not presidential. I mean, that tends to be his personality. Is that it's the bully pulpit? You know, Teddy Roosevelt had a bully pulpit. You know, we're in we're in 2017. That's the new way that uh, he's going to get his his message across. And I don't think anybody, not Ivanka, uh, not Melania, nobody is going to dissuade him from using his uh, his Twitter account. You know, it's interesting. One of the we had a caller on the first part of the program say, you know, now, it, just given where we are in this cycle, you know, is it is it possible that there's nowhere to go but down for the markets in a sense that you know Obama came in, markets were mm -hmm. you know, in, in 09 they bottomed and it rallied very strongly the last seven years, uh, and now you're at these highs and and the ex the economy, the, the unemployment rate has been dropping down, and you heard uh, even his advisors say, you know, we can't just focus on the U3, and I think part of that is. You know that standard unemployment rate um, already near the bottom of where they think that's going to trend down to. So they're trying to broaden out to this broader unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's nine, ten percent. That you know maybe that can head lower, maybe towards eight to seven percent potentially. Um, is that is that something you think they're they're going to focus on? Yeah, there's lots of stuff to worry about. That's one. You know, North Korea 
Iran. I mean, there are things, clearly, trade protectionism that to worry about. My bottom line, though, is that Janet Yellen is in no great rush to raise rates. I mean, I think she'll get dragged kicking and screaming into a couple more because she has to satisfy the, the hawks on the FOMC. So she'll probably do a couple more, but I don't see the Fed overreacting. Uh, and therefore, with rates still historically quite low, I think the market can still do pretty well. But this unpredictability, as you guys were saying, the U word, you know, the uncertainty word, does inject uh, something a little funky for the markets. And it's worth noting that the markets have been choppy for the last two weeks, and I think that may be a factor. They, they really... you know, the markets, it's never completely certain, right? You're always dealing with some type mm-hmm. of uncertainty, and it's always a matter of how much does this uncertainty compare to other times of uncertainty. Um, at least in some ways, we, we know we're going to get the, the improvement on, on the earnings side from just taxes, we, we, or at least we mm-hmm. think we will next year. So there, there are some positives that we can look forward to while we have to deal with this, uh, this trade wild card here. Yeah, no, but I tell you, a year from today, I think all of us, companies, individuals, will be looking at significantly lower tax rates. And that, to me, is, is like rocket fuel on, for an economy that's not doing all that bad to begin with. That's exactly it. Essentially, uh, getting to that uh, you know mystical four percent growth level, mm-hmm. uh, which you know you, you know that that would be a, a badge that uh, Donald Trump would would trumpet uh, quite yep. strongly uh, if he did get there. If if he did uh, have uh, millions of jobs uh, created uh, as a result of his policies or or just created uh, in general, I, I'm curious, Greg. We didn't hear too much about it. We didn't talk about it on our show today. Uh, Davos was also going on uh, mm-hmm. this week, and you know the international community. Uh, with the last few minutes here, uh, do you have any quick thoughts on uh, the international and, and anything that's been stated this week? Yeah, I, I'd say this. He had a very blunt threat to, in my opinion, to NATO, saying we're no longer going to support countries that don't defend their own people. We're not going to waste our money on these countries. To me, that was a shot at NATO. A lot of people, countries in NATO don't pay enough. So I think the anxiety in Western Europe, which is high up for a lot of reasons, probably will ratchet up a notch or two because of what he said. And it, it, the market certainly reacted earlier in the week to, uh, you know, Theresa May and, and yep. the comments on, on the hard Brexit. Um, and, you know, we're still a ways, a ways away from really even knowing what those details are going to look like. And, and it just points to yet another yep. factor, be it that or the European elections that uh, that could be weighing on the markets this year. Populism lives. It does. <laughs> yep. It does. So uh, I definitely want to uh, want to thank uh, all of our guests today. I want to thank Greg Villiers of uh, Horizon Investments. I uh, want to thank uh, Matthew McClear of, uh, of Cumberland. Um, and I want to let our, our audience know, um, ultimately, there is a, a cool new thing where our listeners now, they can actually download the market on the markets uh, on a podcast, uh, whether they like to use iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, SoundCloud, whatever they want to use. This show uh, is available. You can listen to it on demand. You can download it. Uh, we're very excited about it. Um, so everyone, you've been listening to Behind the Markets on Sirius XM 111. Um, as I said, I, I'd really like to thank both of our guests, as well as Nate, who called in today. I'd like to thank my producer, Patty Hall, and sound engineer, Danielle Bruno. I'm Chris Gennady, and for Jeremy Schwartz and Professor Siegel, thanks for listening, and uh, have a great week. Don't forget to check out Behind the Markets Live every Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM's Business Radio, Channel 111. Join us next week for another edition of the Behind the Markets podcast.